Welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson. On our program, we explore the flip side of every story. And when you open yourself up to both sides, you'll realize that there are life lessons, powerful tools, and so much more. Now, here is Dr. Veerdra Jackson. Hello and welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. I am Dr. Veerdra Jackson, the CEO and creative behind Living Strong Consulting. I am so excited to be able to continue our conversation on elevating excellence and leaving a legacy. All month, we are on this journey together and it has been one in which we have been able to talk about how we can show up intentionally to create impact, to be authentic, to um, provide light for others, to absolutely show up in a way that allows how our heart can be transferred, integrated into someone else's story so that they are then able to live freely and authentically, but to carry a legacy forward, creating that ripple effect. And this conversation tonight will do the exact same thing. And as I share Uh, So, you know, when you have one of those bios where you could actually spend most of the show just explaining how phenomenal the human being is because they have already done so much. So I can't do his entire bio justice, but I am going to try to just give you a snapshot on who Lukman M. Abdullah is so that you will understand the passion he brings to the conversation that allows us to um, be inspired to make a change, to create change for ourselves. So let me tell you a little bit about him. Lukman M. Abdullah is a family engagement liaison, creating a welcoming school environment for parents at 13 schools in Philadelphia. He is working with principals to address parent issues and concerns at the school. He conducts outreach to engage parents in their children's education and strengthening parent involvement in their children's education. Lukman was the facility administrator for Nomo Foundation Incorporated, Forget Me Not Youth Services, and founder of the Family and Community Engagement Action Team and the Delaware Valley Peace Commission, just to name a few. You can check out his entire Uh, bio on our uh, guest page on Voice America. But to go into his credentials and his mission, Lukman has a BA, Communicative Science and Disorders, BS in Criminal Justice, a Master of Science in Human Behavior, a Master Degree in Religious Theology, and a Certification in Community Economic Development. Lukman's mission is to build community by developing leadership 
He focuses on identifying leaders and enhancing their skills, values, and commitments. He also focuses on building strong communities, communities through which people can gain new understanding of their interests as well as power to act on them. I am so excited about how he actually is showing up in spaces constructing communities which are bound yet um, inclusive, communal yet diverse, solidarity yet tolerant. He works at developing a relationship between community and leadership based on mutual responsibility and accountability. Thus, his episode is entitled, Us Lifting Us. We all have a part in this lifting experience. Welcome to the conversation, Lukman Abdullah. Thank you, Dr. Jackson. And thank you for having me on your show. I thank your team for having me on your show. And I thank the listening audience for tuning in. You know, I, um, we uh, connected through a DM and it, I immediately was struck by our like vision of impacting communities from the inside out. And your specific focus for this conversation is unpacking how we can get involved in eliminating and impacting, shifting and changing a lifting process to address gun violence that for those who are around the globe listening to this conversation, we are in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And as of February 13th, 2024, there are or have been a reported 32 homicides within Philadelphia already just this year. Although that's a decrease from 2023, it is a significant indicator of the trauma and the pain that just um, permeates our Philadelphia communities and directly impacting our children. And so when I start this conversation with you, Lukman, what are the root causes of gun violence as you're doing your work within our communities? Well, well, some of the root causes that I see that we're faced with is one, our young people being empowered and having an understanding of who they are where they came from and the power that they possess with inside themselves. A lot of our young people are disconnected from a lot of the older people who have a legacy and a history within our communities. And the other thing is that we have to look at how are these guns flooding our community, mm-hmm. you know? And although the guns are flooding our community, I believe that self-development is the basis for community development. And so I always have the conversation with individuals, meaning that the guns can be in our community, but we don't have to pick them up. And so if we have a love for self and a love for self and kind, it's not, it won't be so easy for us to pull the trigger and hurt one another. So I believe that we just have to really look at rebuilding our community and building that family, building that network, you know, and just bringing more awareness into our communities. 
There's something so powerful in what you just said as the trauma work that I um, have really dedicated my life to um, unfolds. I found that when we experience loss, we have a tendency to try to compensate for that experience of loss by trying to fill those empty holes. And when you just talked about how our young people don't actually connect with who they are, what their power is, who their value, what the what value they innately already have when they are experiencing those levels of loss, then it shows up in other behaviors, in other ways. So if we know that in trauma, there's always some type of loss, whether it's loss of trust, it's loss of power, it's loss of safety. How do you go into communities and communicate how to build or rebuild actual trust and connection? Well, I, I, one of the things I definitely believe that we have to do a, a good assessment of the individuals and we, the community and the individuals in the community. And once we do our assessment of the community and the individuals in the community and we see what their likes are, what their dislikes are, their strong points, their weak points. And we have to try to really build on that. I mean, when I go into various communities, I first try to build relationships with the people just based on where they're at, you know? And uh, it's important to really understand their understand a person's trauma because everybody deal with trauma differently. And so it's just really understanding the proper handling of people and understanding how to communicate with them. And then once we are able to build those relationships, build a bond, then we're able to provide the needed supports that they may be desiring. But one, it all starts from having that communication with them, letting them know that I feel you, I'm here for you. You know, and I know in trauma training, in trauma mm -hmm. training, they always talk, they always speak about when you communicate with somebody that's dealing with trauma, always ask them what happened. Mm -hmm. And so when we find out what happened, then we can better probably support that individual or those individuals within the community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The power of making sure someone feels seen before you're trying to provide support, making sure that their perspective, their voice is fully understood. Because sometimes we can create an entire program and it's not even the real issue. <laughs> and, and I've watched it happen in programming so many times. And when we are willing to pause and say, you know what, is there more that I need to understand? Is there a perspective that I don't have? Reminding people that their voice is valued and valuable allows there to allows people to put bring their guard down. Would you agree? Yes, ma'am. I definitely agree. And mm -hmm. I I agree because I just a situation that happened with me uh uh on on Tuesday. So I do a mm -hmm. life skills class with young people who are uh adjudicated youth. Mm -hmm. And so they have to participate in these pro in this program. And so 
the first week, it was really rough. Like they were, they couldn't sit still. They were arguing back and forth, fussing and all kinds of stuff. So it was hard to really get their concentration. So this Tuesday, I said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to sit down and we're going to have a restorative justice circle. Mm. And so all of us sat in a circle and I shared with them a situation I was dealing with with my 14-year-old daughter in high school. And all these young people were able to give me great input and insight on what I was dealing with. One young lady actually talked to my daughter on the phone about the issues and stuff. And so one of the things that I, I learned, which I already know, is that just sitting down and being able to listen to people. Sometimes we have to just listen and let them open up and share. And then we'll get to be able, we'll, we'll begin to build that bond with them just by here. Because sometimes people just want you to listen to them, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so. So often people, they're, they're not listened to. I think about in many marginalized communities, it they are told what they need. They are told this is what what you're going to be given, but actually creating space to listen and remind people that you have value in your story, your perspective, Mm -hmm. what you've been through could actually encourage and uplift somebody else that Mm -hmm. reminding them of their own agency. Mm -hmm. And I love how, being honest, how... Sometimes we will enter a space with young people and be ready to program them and they're and they're not even regulated enough to focus in on what on what you're offering. And mm-hmm. so as a true leader, instead of trying to continue to push the program, you recognize there was something different you could do. And I think that goes far in connecting the generations. What do you think? Yes, ma'am. I, so I agree with you 100% because there is, so some years ago, I worked with an organization called Me Productions. It's a motivational, educational entertainment company. And we did a little, uh, uh, I don't know, a little disc or DVD. But what it was about was it was an older gentleman and an older young lady coming home from the store. And it was some younger men sitting on the step. They lived in their block. And so the older lady walked by them and walked into the house. The older gentleman stopped, was talking to him. And then he asked them, do you know Miss such and such? And they was like, no, we always see her. But she walked by and go into the house. So he called her out of the house, introduced her to the young guys. And the moral of this little documentary was to bring awareness of how there's a disconnect in our communities. Meaning, and I and and and, and we have to be real. I mean, people have a legitimate fear when they walk in, in certain communities, and you see the young people who appear to I who appear to look like somebody a stereotype. Be, yes, a, Luchman, stereotype, a yes. stereotype. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. And so people have that legitimate fear, so they don't want to say anything, you know, but we have to begin in our communities to start building those connections and bonding, you know, start doing more things within our communities. That's going to help us to get to know who our neighbor is, you know, so that we can really 
lift each other up, protect yeah. each other. Yeah, actually be neighbors, right? Yeah. When, <laughs> it's in sometimes I think in our culture today, um, oftentimes what um, the product some from the pandemic that that we've gotten so isolated that truly um, connecting with one another as neighbors, being willing to step outside of what we are, um, what the book we have written about somebody else. Instead of writing the book and, and operating as though we already know, actually pause and say, I might not know, and I could learn about someone else's story. But that really requires us to slow down and even check ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yes, I definitely agree with that. You know, uh, I mean, there's so many different uh, stereotypes that's out there about our communities. There's so much information just being flooded in our communities to keep us divided. But those individuals who are the leaders within the community have to find a way to really bridge that gap and bring us mm -hmm. back together because no one else is going to come from outside of our community to bring us together. We yeah. have to bring each other together and us lifting us for me is important because not only do we have a responsibility to uplift or lift up those individuals in our own families, but in our communities, in our mm -hmm. schools, like when I look at our schools, there's no uh, 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 a knight in shaman, shining, ar a shining armor coming to rescue the students in our schools. We as adults, as parents, as staff, as students, we have to take on that banner or that baton and we have to lift each other up. You know, uh, our communities, we, we, when we look at change and if somebody said something to me not too long ago and they asked me, do you know what the police role in the community? Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking, and they were saying that most people think that the police role is to prevent violence. And I'm, you know, scratching my head, trying to think, well, I thought they were. That was their responsibility. Mm -hmm. But they were saying no. Their role is to respond after a situation has happened. Mm -hmm. They said that it's the community's role to try mm -hmm. to prevent violence in the community, meaning mm -hmm. that the people in the community have to come together because we know the community better than anybody. We know the people in our community. And so mm -hmm. as I think about it, 99% of the time, the police response after a situation has been called in and has happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when, when, we, when I look at us lifting us, us lifting us is all about how do we empower each other educational wise, economical wise, you know, uh, spiritually, uh, family wise, you know, uh, uh, you know, just how do we, yeah. really work together to bring about change mm -hmm. in our communities, in our families, and in our communities, you know. 
And I think about the, because my oldest daughter is um, a police officer and she actually uh, was a rookie. Her rookie year was spent in North Philadelphia. Um, she's now a police officer in Charleston okay. and she is trauma informed. She is passionate about serving others. And I feel like that the, the stigma of pointing fingers has us avoiding each other and and labeling one another instead of actually coming together. Because when I think about how she commits so much energy to relationships, to taking time to get to know everyone who um, she has to engage with, the schools that she's in, it's it is the relationship first that allows people to trust her when something happens. Mm -hmm. And and if we could get past the fallout of how trauma has actually weighted us down. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make sure that our listeners understood. For me, when I hear us say, lift um, us, lifting us, doesn't mean that in some way, there are people who are lower. It really is acknowledging that allostatic and load sound. and trauma absolutely creates a weight mm. on the lives of human beings who absolutely still have so much inside of them. But I think one of the things that destroys our opportunity to live collectively is finger pointing mm -hmm. and trying to place blame and calling people out. And although we absolutely want accountability and strong leadership, absolutely, all of that is necessary. But I think when we get so caught up in pointing fingers and wanting to call one another out, it, it we actually destroy the opportunity to come together, to actually call one another in so that we can be called to action. So is there in your description for our conversation, you said it is everyone's responsibility to change the culture of violence. Mm -hmm. What are some key elements that you have found to even make that possible? How can we stop pointing fingers at each other and come together? Well, I think that when we look at a construction site, a construction site has the brick mason, the cement mason, the carpenter, the, uh, 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 the laborer, the iron worker, the uh, steel erector, the crane operator, they have all these different individuals to build the building or the structure that they're striving to build. <laughs> and so in our communities, we have to recognize that everybody plays a part in the development of our community. We have the police officers. The police officers have a role to play because one of the things that people fail to realize is that they come from families within our communities. They are family people within our communities. So we can't let the badge that they have blind us to the fact that they have a family who loves them, who probably come from our same community. You know, we have the young people 
the young people give a have a voice and insight that some of the older people may not even take heed to. The seniors have a history and a legacy that they can share with us that can really motivate and empower us. And, you know, the doctor, the lawyer, the priest, the, the, the rabbi, the reverend, the school teacher, you know, the common thug on the street, you know, they all, we all bring something to the table. And until we begin to really network and recognize the value that each of us have. And like I always try to share with people is that we could take civil rights from people. We could take constitutional rights from people, but we can't take a person's human rights. As human beings, we have rights just as being human beings. And when we recognize the value that we possess just as being human beings, and we put all the isms to the side and come together for a common cause and a common goal, we can bring about change, you know? And we just really have to look at, okay, what do we want in our community? What are the things that we want to see change in our community? And then what are we collectively willing to do to bring about that change? We can't wait on just this one group to do all the work. We all have a responsibility. Yes. I love that concept of being able to actually say out loud, so what is it that we want? Mm -hmm. What what would it look like? I have over literally just this week worked with um, some of my school district clients as we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging and how to create a map for their school environments. And one of the very first questions I pulled from the from the book Switch from the Heath Brothers, and it's called the Miracle Question. And, and it's asking, if you closed your eyes and a miracle happened, and when you opened it, opened your eyes, what would be the first signs to you that something had radically changed? And being able to actually articulate what that would look like can begin to help us recognize all of the roles that each of us could play to get there. Because it's one thing to say, this is what we desire. This is what we hope to see. This is what we want to possibly happen. This is what we feel as humans we deserve. And who's going to take all the parts of this? <laughs> who's going to be um, included in this journey? We have about one minute before we um, go to break. I'd love for you to just tell us about one program. You, I, I have never seen somebody with, I'm like, how, when does he sleep? He's like in like 10 different things. So before we go on break, can you just tell us about one of the programs that you are involved in that you feel is making an impact, moving us in the in the direction of that collaboration? Well, currently uh, I'm working with the Philadelphia Anti-Drug, Anti-Violence Network. And the, the work that we do, I believe is really meaningful making connections, unfortunately, making connections with family members who may have lost a loved one to violence, you know, and just being able to provide them with resources and guide them in the direction to get 
the resources, the trauma train, the trauma care, behavioral mental health care. I think that for me, that's that's really meaningful. And as well as, you know, the work that I do within the schools, connecting families with the resources and information, because I believe that, you know, bringing about awareness is important. You know, mm-hmm. bringing a, we, it's important to bring about the awareness of what we're dealing with within our communities and being able to provide the families with those resources and supports that's needed, you know, and so... Uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of organizations. I think all the organizations I work with are doing great work, you know, but I'm just speaking from where I'm at right now. Yes, yeah. yes. And um, I know that about you and I appreciate the intentionality of offering. So I could not even imagine how powerful it is to have someone come and recognize and and allow space for the healing process after something so tragic has happened and that someone is intentionally um, reaching out to make sure my needs are met, um, that I'm feeling seen, that I feel heard, um, and that I'm on a journey, although it will take time, a journey of healing. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I tell you, we are not even halfway through my questions, y'all. And we are at the point of taking our break. I would love for you to um, continue to connect with Living Strong. If you are interested in being on our show, reach out to radio at livingstrongllc.com. We're always looking for powerful guests that can help our listeners recognize that what has happened is not the end of your story, that every story has the opportunity to create a flip. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. What if the most special part about you was not how you fit in, but how you stood out in a world that has never seen your kind of beauty? What if you could walk confidently in your God-given beauty, identity, and purpose? My name is Sandra Coates, and I am the founder and visionary of a movement called United and True. We want every woman to know that she is being transformed, she has been redeemed, and she is unique. I'm also an author of a newly released book called None Like Her. It is about awakening the beauty and the value that is within every woman. You see, it's time that we rise up through the confusion and the chaos and the comparison and the shame to know that there is nothing more we need to do to access the beauty that is within us. Please visit sandracoats.com for more information. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. This is Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with Dr. Veerdra Jackson. To reach the live show today, call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at livingstrongllc.com. 
Now, back to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Welcome back. We have been having a conversation with Lukman Abdullah, and he is a powerful force in our Philadelphia communities, uh, an ambassador of hope and healing in so many ways. I shared in the beginning, I, I half of the show would be spent just reading his bio. So absolutely check out all of the community's uh, resources and connections that he has had. And we're diving into a conversation on the flip side of adversity in speaking honestly and openly about the healing opportunities, the collaboration, the opportunities of us lifting us in a conversation around addressing gun violence. And so when I think about how you shaped preparation for this conversation, you said, how can we use our skills, talents, and intelligence to design and create a new systemic way for us to function and support each other? What roles are you seeing skills, talents, and intelligence playing in this collaboration? So... You know, here here in Philadelphia, we have a lot of organizations. We have a lot of individuals who bring various talents and skills. You know, we have some people who may be good writers. We have some people who may be good facilitators. You know, we have some people who may be good with outreach, uh, media, uh, 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 advertising, marketing, so forth and so on. But one of the things is that we operate in silos and it's it's and, and and when i started working in the nonprofit arena uh my my former the my former president of the agency i worked with had paid my tuition to go to uh university of delaware may god be pleased with her cuz she just recently passed paula peoples but she paid my tuition to go to university of delaware and one of the things I saw is that people who were in the class came from all over the world and everybody had the same thing in common. And that was of the lack of resource or people sharing the resource. And in Philadelphia, we are at odds with one another because we think that we are not going to get the resources and the funding and so forth and so on. But we can be more impactful and we can be more intentional when we come together and we just look at the talents and skills that each individual brings. Because right now, most major funders are looking at joint venture collaborations. And so us coming together and being more intentional and being more impactful, bringing our resources and skills and talents together, I think that we could be more effective in bringing about change in our communities. The other thing is we have to look at, okay, how do we section off and division ourselves to tap into the different geographical areas of our city, you know? And so that comes through having a solid coalition or collaborative, you know? So, I mean, it's, we have a lot of talented people in Philadelphia. We have a lot of talented people, but we're not utilizing one another's talents. Yeah. Yeah. The, 
that ongoing conversation that is long had and and consistently people say it's the least effective way to create effective change. But over and over again, we hear how silos pop up. And as a consultant who works with leadership teams and organizations is recognizing that how can we get over um, fighting over territory and recognize how we actually could reach more if we collaborated and release that that um, condition of fear or um, wor- that that worry that somehow we're going to miss out when actually, just as you said, most funding is is really looking at how are organizations coming together to collaborate because you have to think about how is that going to be sustainable? Mm-hmm. Uh, a funder doesn't want to be everything to you for the life of your program. Mm-hmm. So they're actually looking for organizations that are ready to come together, that understand collaboration is key. Uh, to also support sustainability. Sustainability is the key. That's what they're looking for, sustainability. Because <laughs> they're not, yes. okay, when we give you this money, okay, how are you going to sustain yourself, you know, yes. to continue on? So that's that's yes. the key. That's the catchphrase right there. <laughs> yes. If you think about um, collaboration and this concept that you have of skills, talents, and intelligence being a blueprint um, design for creating new systems, what do you hope for um, with our new mayor, Mayor Sherelle Parker, who we are celebrating, we are ready to support, we are ready to get behind her and um, absolutely be in the trenches to support her success. What are some things that you hope for that you see happen within our city to support her journey? Well, one, I'll say that I, uh, I appreciate what the new mayor has done in regards to recruiting people from the community to be a part of her team. I personally have never seen that before, you know, uh, and I I applaud her for that. You know, I see some people that she had pulled to her team who I personally know, personally have worked with, who have, you know, are connected to certain geographical areas in the city. But what I would like to see our mayor do is really develop a, a network, a trauma network, so to speak. And the trauma network is being able to have key people in different geographical areas of the city who is working collaboratively with the city, the, 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 their area at large, but connected to a larger entity. And those individuals just looking at how they can support the families in their community, in their districts around around the trauma, uh, 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 building community wealth, building individual wealth, you know, uh, community development, just looking at ways that they can totally build their community to make their community a better place to live. And we have 
key people in different geographical areas of each part of the city who are doing the same thing under the same blueprint and they connect with the, so I'll say the headquarter network, meaning, mm -hmm. meaning you have the, the, the center body and then you have all these, these other entities, you know, throughout the city, but we're all connected and we're all striving for the same cause and the same goals, you know, uh, meaning like people speak about collaboratives and coalitions, so forth and so on. But I'm looking at a trauma network or yeah. a trauma collaborative or trauma coalition, because the reality is, is that our families are dealing with trauma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're these young people in our schools are dealing with trauma. And so the trauma network can be inclusive of all the other things. Because when you talk about trauma, we're talking about, okay, community trauma. Or I'll, I'll just say one thing, the, 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 uh, the broken window theory. Mm -hmm. The broken window theory lays out, if you live in a community with abandoned cars, broken windows, abandoned houses, graffiti all over, trash, so forth, so on, that affects the mind. And so our trauma network is focusing on the removal of the broken window theory, so to speak. But they have a network of people that they're networking with, and we're all supporting each other throughout the city. And so one community one district to the next district, we all focusing on the same thing to bring about change in a unified, systematic manner. Yes, recognizing the power of um, how trauma impacts the mental health as well as the physical health, the financial health, the relational health. Trauma is pervasive. And yeah. so the power of that visual you just gave me in my head of a trauma network is acknowledging the pervasiveness of trauma and, and understanding that one entity is not going to be able to do or make the greatest impact as a network would because trauma impacts so many facets of a human being's life and mind, um, academic performance, ability to communicate, the, the list just goes on and on. And so this, I, I think about your suggestion as one of an opportunity to offer people a place for healing, as well as the city is moving in, in the directions of um, economic growth, of workforce development. It literally could be that hub that fuels all of the other growth areas as people become healthier and stronger, more focused, able to communicate better, able to navigate and regulate their behaviors and their responses better. It's It truly all is an absolute network. I love that mental picture you just gave. Mm, thank you. When you think about um, how uh, I read a post you put out um, of some time ago around helping parents understand the power of social emotional skills from very early ages and helping parents understand those skills so that children from both school as well as home are able to um, embrace them, integrate them, 
into their stories, into how they're navigating the world. How are you seeing social skills um, as a part of this healing journey to address the violence? So when I when I go into the schools and I walk into various communities, I witness young people who are engaging with one another in unhealthy manners. You know, like one one I I I observe a young man have a young lady by the feet and dragging her down the hallway and she's laughing. She's laughing at it, you know, and he's looking like it was a laughing matter, but you know, like really he's being disrespectful to this young lady, you know, and my I look at my daughter. My, I look at my daughter, my daughter, she's in high school in Philly and the young guy punching on my daughter. She got bruises all on her arms, but they think this is a game and a joke. Like our young people don't understand how to communicate with one another. They don't understand how to have healthy relationships and dialogues with one another, you know, and so I think that the social skills or the lack of social skills and the lack of problem solving skills is a number one detriment to the health and wellness of our communities. Because if I don't know how to communicate with somebody, if I don't know how to socialize with somebody, if I don't know how to problem solve, then the, the only other alternative is I'm going to result to anger and violence or result of violence. And so 99% of the time, when we look at what's going on in our community, a lot of individuals are responding to the anger and they're acting out of anger because of a lack of social skills and problem solving skills. I used to do a program with Mothers in Charge called Thinking for a Change. And Thinking for a Change was a, is a cognitive skills development program. And one of the lessons that I always hold dear is recognize the risk. And so I tell people all the time that whenever we, no matter where we at, no matter where we travel at throughout the society, we got to always recognize the risk. You know, in various situations, if I'm walking down the street and I see a group of young people, I'm watching their body language. I'm trying to verbally wash their lips and I'm looking for bulges in their side to see whether they're carrying weapons. And that's going to tell me whether I need to walk through them, by them or across the street because I'm looking at the risky situation. And so. When we look at our young people, a lot of our young people don't understand recognizing the risk. They don't understand that if I get on social media and I respond to something negative, then it can escalate a, a, a conflict, you know. And so the, 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 those social skills, you know, is, is important. It's important to have good social skills. It's important to have good problem solving skills. But we're not teaching that. A lot of uh, we're not teaching that in our in a lot of our communities and stuff. And this is why I think that this is why a lot of our young people are having the issues that they have, because mm -hmm. they don't understand how to solve conflict or how to resolve a conflict or how to deal with conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. You know, 
good social skills will help me to be able to better communicate with people or the lack thereof. Good problem solving skills is going to get, help me to be able to identify a problem and come to a healthy resolution of that problem so it don't lead into conflict. Yeah. You know, there is something really powerful in understanding how when we know how to show up, actually going all the way back to the very top of the show, how you started the conversation and you said, when our young people don't know that they are valuable, that they have something to offer, that they have power, it then begins to distort how they even see themselves and then how they show up and, and then they resort to other ways of being seen. And I, I think about how social skills um, is not just about a book and a lesson, it's it's also about a conversation. Um, and going back to your silos comment, I know that there are school programs that are specifically designed and being used around social skills and trying to create programming around that. I think it's also an opportunity for us to recognize that the, that the weight of that can't just sit with just the schools. It, it, it literally has to become something that everyone collectively understands so that when a young person is in the school program and then they go to their community center, the, the same kinds of language, the same kinds of approaches can begin to show up there and then their faith-based communities and then back to the original question at home mm -hmm. and how to help there to be a consistency. If you're in one place and something is done, but then you go to four other places and it's not, then it doesn't mm -hmm. have a chance to get integrated. Yes, and so knocking down those silos so that we have common knowledge, common awareness, common strategies. And the last point, and then I have another question for you, is I think we also have to honor the conversation of recognizing emotional regulation and how to actually develop the skill of calming down. So once I'm triggered, actually developing the skill of calming down in my body so that I can actually tap into the social emotional skill or problem solving that I was taught. Because if I am on 10, I'm never even going to think about that lesson that we had at, at anybody's room. It's mm -hmm. actually recognizing how do, how do we also couple that with enough movement, enough um, creativity, creative outlets, opportunities for people to express themselves and being able to actually tap into emotional regulation is also a great opportunity for us to grow and get to a, a healthy place. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. Wow. I cannot, look, man, I cannot believe we are already at four minutes, four minutes mm -hmm. before we're done. This has been, I hope it has um, encouraged leaders 
um, educators who I know are logged in, com- um, faith-based communities that I know that are logged in. Um, I'd love for you to share kind of with our last few minutes, how can people follow the work that you're doing? Where where can they see some of the work or um, platforms that you're on? How can they follow you? Well, I... Uh... I'm, I, I, they can reach out to me and uh, <laughs> they can find me. They can find me in the schools. They can find me in the community. I mean, they could reach out to me, uh, my email, my number. Because I'm, I, I, unfortunately, I'm not on social media as I used to be. You know, uh, they can follow me on LinkedIn. You know, I, I'm on Facebook, uh, but I, I. So on, so on LinkedIn, um, is your name? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so spell your name so people who are on LinkedIn can find you and um, connect with you, especially if they have questions, because you've said a lot of valuable things. Okay, so my first name is Lukeman, L-U-Q-M-A-N, and my last name is Abdullah, A-B-D-U-L-L-A-H. Wonderful. Wow. I tell you, this has been a conversation. Um, Yep. And Paula posted, she said, this is a powerful and necessary conversation. Thank you, Paula. I agree. Um, Not feeling as though we are powerless and helpless in the face of violence is one of the initial first steps to pursuing healing. We are not powerless. We are not helpless. There are things that we can do actively together as we, yes, us lifting us, collaborating um, to address the violence that we're seeing. As we close out, Lukeman, what's a, a closing thought you'd like to share with those who are listening who um, might feel discouraged or unsure, what's what's a closing encouragement that you can offer those who are listening? Well, I would like to just offer individuals who may be dealing with an issue to connect with somebody else, connect with an organization, connect with an individual, and just communicate with individuals who may have like minds, or individuals who may be able to bring some resources to you. You know, we have to communicate to let people know what we're dealing with in order to get the support that we need. And the biggest thing in anything, whether it's work, relationship, family, is communication. And we don't know how to support one another if we're not communicating with one another because the end goal is us lifting us us being able to lift one another up, help each other heal and help each other obtain the resources and supports and services that may be needed. We have to protect one another. Yes. Do not isolate, engage with one another. Don't pull back in pain, find someone. Don't go silent and withdraw, reach out. There is help out there, but you cannot receive it if you are not communicating that you need it. Uh, 
Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lukman. This has been amazing. Again, it's an open invitation. I look forward to the opportunity for us to collaborate on something. So I look forward to, to the time that I can show up there in Philadelphia and support the powerful, good, good work that you are doing. Thank you again for being a part of this Flipside Conversation. And thank you as well, Dr. Jackson. And I look forward to being able to be a support and assistance to you as well. And thank you for the great work you're doing and the opportunity to share. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, there you have it. We have ended another conversation right here on the flip side. We want to see you here, same place, same time on the flip side next week. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Please join your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson, for another edition of our show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.